Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined here on this beautiful Saturday morning, this beautiful football morning, <laughs> by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I love the way you go. I don't know. You get a little like spring in your step when you talk about me, Dave. I know. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Uh, there, you must have really fond memories of me. <laughs> just, just fond, just fond everything. You know, oh, these interactions—they're so incredible. Can we just stop now? Yeah, I just, we, we I probably want to end this on this note. Right Forty now. seconds. I feel good. Forty seconds of ego stroking—that's what we do here on the broadcast. No one would know. No one would know. All those people—we think a lot of people listen to this. It's like four, and it's, the rest of the, all they do would see is that. There's a podcast that's up on Bruin Report Online. That's and all they need it, to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's all they need to know. No, uh, this is this is for everyone who's driving out to the Rose Bowl. And I, I want you to play this podcast because I want your wives and your your families to listen to the dulcet tones of Dave Woods and Tracy Pearson. Yeah, I think that's a great mission statement for this podcast today. Thank you. Um, so we've got to turn it up. We've got to impress all the wives. We've right got to impress everybody. Um, I'm expecting this to be playing over the loudspeaker at the Rose Bowl today. You um, know what? Let, to bring in to bring in the wives, we've got to talk a little bit about Halloween and your two daughters that you took out because that will okay. just that will warm the cockles. So, all right. So so for the uh, three out of the last four years, um, for the third time in the last four years, they were Anna and Elsa, more or less, um, from Frozen. Um, it was cold as hell here in Atlanta, about 40 degrees when we went out at 6 PM. Uh, we stayed out for about an hour, ended up with, I, I think I didn't train them well enough this year. And I, am sure you as a, as a, as a father of once young children understands, but they, they walked away with a lot of sweet tarts and starbursts and I hate those all kind that of kind of garbage because it's, I think, yeah. colorful, um, yeah. and not nearly enough, uh, Kit Kats, Reese's Pieces, Twix's, Snickers, you know, the, the good candy. So this I thought, is the, yeah, this is the father's dilemma all about, I mean, I loved taking my kids out. I thought it was, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, but damn, you got to bring me home some chocolate. Well, you got to, I mean, I, I take it as a personal failing. You know me, I'm always, I'm always process oriented. I'm always, you know, blame, blame the coach, blame that, blame the head guy. I didn't coach them well enough. It's never know? the player's fault. It's always no, the I, fault. Yeah. I'm, I'm not blaming the players here. I'm saying I, I'm putting this on my shoulders. I didn't train them well enough. I didn't coach them well enough. If there was an error, there was an error in scheme and strategy here. Okay, so uh, when they dumped out their pillowcases, do people still use the pillowcases they don't? They're not, when they dump- they're not old enough yet to use the pillowcase. Okay. So when they dumped those out and it was all like, you know, brightly colored sweet tarts and junk like did you as a coach overreact and say what is this no what is this stuff no, see that's not my style now did i no. take did i take a few of the like very spare pieces of chocolate that were in there yeah of course i did um so you know i took the fruits of the labor which i think is very much like um you know college athletics um, but I didn't overreact. I was like, um, you know, one of those benevolent tyrants um, I got you. that, uh, you know, sometimes come into the coaching ranks. Do you think maybe in Atlanta 
there was some more like uh, emphasis on that kind of sweet stuff. No, no, really, I don't. I think my kids, my kids just, I mean, honestly, I just failed them. Um, Because I was looking in the buckets and, you know, in that moment, it's kind of like the wooden, the John Wooden thing. You want to coach so much in practice that you don't have to coach when it's the actual game. And I took that approach, but I clearly didn't coach them up enough in practice. So I wasn't telling them, hey, get this one or that one out of the out of the person's bucket when they were at the door. But in reality, that might have ended up with some better results. So first off, your passion bucket was empty. Yep. I think that's uh, right. Secondly, if we were doing a unit by unit grading and this was the offensive this would coaching. be this would be a D or lower. Definitely a D or lower. Okay. I just want to throw it back at you because you I mean, you dish that out every week. Well, that's the thing and, is I'm willing yeah. to take this. I'm willing to take okay. this blame. No, I okay. yeah, totally. So, here's the other thing that you do. Whenever you buy candy for your house, Make sure it is, uh, you know, Kit Kat or Reese's or something. So you have a backup yeah, always. That's true. Because even if you coach, there's a nervous moment for a kid, especially a young kid, because they go to the door, trick or treat, and there's someone there, and a lot of them let them pick, and yeah. they've got a mask on, and they got five people oh, around yeah. them. And yeah. it's nervous. It's a nervous performing yeah, time. Exactly. A lot of times when they're too young, they go for the shiny object. They need those so, reps. They need those reps. Right. So do the backup. Get the bag of Kit Kat. It's like if you're going to be a tempo offense in the fall, you've got to be a tempo offense in the spring. Um, yeah. And that's just what it is. And so I failed them this year, um, obviously. Uh, but you've made notes. I've you've made, made notes. Those. I've I've written things down, um, like Jim Mora with his little notepad. Um, you know, we're we're ready to go next time. We're going to clean things up. We're going to execute a little bit better. We're going to coach better. And we're going to get out there. Wouldn't you like to have read those little notes on Jim Moore's little notepad? Like at one I, point, I think there it had was to be just something curse words. Said, I, I think it was just curse words. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That would be like, suck off, ref. <laughs> <laughs> or just like, what if it was just poetry? Like he had like some sort of anger management technique and it was just – he like l- wrote little haiku every time <laughs> there was a frustrating penalty. That'd be great. So one of my best. Okay, I'm going to tell a Mora story now. Um, when Mora was in his heyday at UCLA, the first three years, he. I mean, if we were doing a unit by unit overall, I, I'd give him close. I'd give him like an A minus, probably for fulfilling the role of head coach. He he was in his his masterly kind of mode with the media too at yeah. the time. I mean, it's like with most coaches and, and with Mora, if you have all the other bases covered, now you start moving on to trying to master more about the head coaching thing. And he was moving on. He was always good to the media, but now he was mastering the media. Right. Yeah. So I was hearing from him occasionally on different things. He was very good tactically of what, he wanted me to know and what he wanted all the other me. It, it was a good way. It was a head coach working the media. Well, um, at one point during the week, during game week, I can't remember what game it was, but I, I saw him on campus and we started talking and he said, Hey, I got a little bit of a scoop for it. Now a good head coach will give each member of the media something special and think that they're special. So you like them and, and Jim was good at that. So he gave me something about 
a player was going, an injured player was going to be starting and playing. Right. Mm -hmm. And he goes, um, just hold off on it, but I'll let you have it. Um, and we're going to, I can't remember the exact details, but I think he said, you know, I'll let you know if it's happening. So I go, that's, that's just great. So literally, I, I don't know if you were in the booth with me at the time, but it was about an hour before the game. And I got a text saying, yeah, he's good to go. He's going to play. Um, and I looked down on the field. I'm trying to find more to see if he's texting on his phone. <laughs> Do you From the, the the best one was the Miles Jack one, where the the day he was going to start at running back, he texted, okay, that was it. Yeah. That was it. I'm sorry. He yeah, texted yeah. me up in the booth. It was Miles Jack. Yeah, that was yeah. it. He texted me Miles Jack that was starting like a running ten, back. That was ten minutes before kick. Okay, ten minutes. <laughs> that was amazing. So I scooped everything, did it, and I'm all wow. This this head coach is on top of it, man. We scooped everyone. It was great. And then do you remember when he, after the game, He's and like, he did came. Did you get my text? He came into the interview room. He walks in. He sees me in the first, and he, and he mouths to me, did you get my text? <laughs> I mean. I was, I was in the I shower. Had, I was just in the shower, and I wanted to make sure you got my text. A head coach on the top of his media game at that point. And I know I was special, but I wasn't that special. I know he did it with other media members, too. Not not saying he cheated on me, but that was that was how to master the media. That yeah. was did you get my text? Yeah. That was that was brilliant. That was great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that was great Morris story. Well, that's football. Should we talk about football? Wives, did you like that story? Yeah. Jim Moore. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um all uh, right. That's football. Yeah. So UCLA, current team. Playing Colorado yeah. today, later today. Interesting uh, game, I think. I'm re- I'm really looking forward to this game. Yes. From, from this one standpoint, if no matter who wins or loses, as long as there's a high entertainment value, right? I mean, every week I try, I tape Michigan, and it's kind of now a ritual. I tape Michigan for that one Michigan game that's going to be 54 to 48 one time and then I go in and I see the result and it's 14 to 10 is the final score and I go okay I'm not watching this again I haven't watched a Michigan game in full now in probably 3 years just because it's a ritual I tape it to see if they scored over 30 points if they do I w- I'll watch it so this game Every prediction we saw was 38 to 34 for UCLA Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's going to be entertaining, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I will say this, going back to last week against Arizona State, um, that game was fun to watch. Um, fun to watch. Even though it was kind of one-sided, uh, it was really fun to watch from kind of the opening jump all the way through. Um, and Stanford was, I think we, were, we had a, a lot more trepidation for that game because it was like, well how much can you actually take from this? And so you're just kind of like, eh, yeah, that's is great, but they're playing against, you know, basically me at quarterback. So what, what is this? Um, I'm expecting this to be fun. Yeah, exactly. And as long as it's fun. Wait, you were associating yourself with a 19 year old athlete. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just. Well, like the thing is, the thing is at like a base level, like, 
probably like you walk in and you'd be at the, about the same level of competence in a particular football game. Like I'm trying to picture you in a Sanford uniform. That, that's as, a, that's as, something to behold. That's like Dan Fouts at like his oldest moment. <laughs> 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 With the beard, actually, too. Now that I think about it, no, yeah, no, Dan- it's, it's it's graying Dan Fouts from like his last ever TV broadcast, right? And that was that was before when Dan Fouts was ending his career. That was before like uh, quarterbacks even tried to get in really good shape. Like the trend of getting in really good shape will you know prolong your career it'll make you more efficient that was back when quarterbacks just really got paunchy dan dan fouts is 68 years old now yeah wow yeah yeah thanks for thanks for that dave yeah yeah i mean 68 year old dan dan fouts would probably play the position better than uh jack west did that day what my my point is um we're getting away from points we're like (laughs) yeah we're going far afield today and i think some people some people are going to be happy with it some people, maybe a vocal minority, maybe a vocal majority, not so happy. Um, we love you guys anyway. Just come on in and get through it. We'll get to something that pertains that's important yeah, yeah. very uh, soon. Um, but UCLA, Colorado, I'm expecting it to be fun. Oh, yeah, and that... honestly, my level of um, – my, my, my standard for this season because of the first six games is still really low. So as long as this game is fun to watch, if it's a back-and-forth affair and Colorado even wins, fine. You know, whatever. Forty-one thirty-eight, Colorado. That's okay. I don't think it's going to be though, because um, I do think the defense has uh, completely changed things in such a way that they're actually. I think the defense is actually what we were kind of thinking it might be to start the year, which is comfortably average to above average. Suddenly, um, and the offense has steadily improved to the point where, in in the whole course of the season you can't say a three and five team is good but i think ucla in the micro sense is like a above average team now we kind of said it last year when they were two and you know whatever they were yeah. uh, i mean toward the end of the season we were saying hey this team's pretty good now we were talking i mean how homerish was that <laughs> well that's, so that's, that, that's i think the you thing can is, say it dave yeah and i think they are um above average now um and i think above average colorado they had a nice performance against USC. I don't want to take that away from them, but um, Steven Montez was a disaster in the three games before that. Uh, yeah. LaVisca Chenault is still having to take, you know, plays off um, because he's still got that abdominal issue. Um, they're not world beaters by any stretch. They might very well be the worst team in the Pac-12 now. Um, so I, I anticipate UCLA winning this one comfortably based on what we've shown, what they've shown over the last couple of weeks. See, now I got a, I got a few little caveats. First, I'm not 100% completely convinced about UCLA, even after the two weeks of data, because as a weirdo, I went back and watched the ASU game again. And it was funny because as soon as I watched it, one, on top of all the other takeaways, the same takeaways, and this is the same takeaway, but more emphasized, wow, UCLA really had some real breaks in that game. Those two long drives. And uh, UCLA was playing well. And and Dorian Thompson-Robinson was scrambling like a, a – well, I was about to say something really nasty, but 
Yeah, but there were in those two drives, there were some things that happened. Not one or two, a number of things that sustained those drives. And so many things broke well for UCLA in that game. And there was a thread on the forum that people were saying, well, you probably would have been the same result regardless of all those good breaks. And I'm, I'm a little slightly skeptical about that. I, I truly am. There were an overwhelming amount of breaks and at very key times that, gave, that helped pro- propel UCLA to that lead. So overall, I need one more. Okay, you beat Stanford. You pretty much dominated ASU. And now here's a team that you should – when's the last time UCLA beat a team they were favored to beat? Um, so The real take, question let, is when was the last time they covered against the yeah, team they were favored covered. to beat? Um, so which a, is, a I game think, that, never. <laughs> yeah. So a game that they need – basically is that they need to take care of business, that old saying. I'm skeptical that this team has that kind of – taking care of business kind of element in them just yet. Uh, and if they're occasionally, well, every year there's a couple of players in the Pac-12 that I just, I love to watch play that aren't on you. And Eno Benjamin was one. And I, I will tape ASU games to watch him play because he's, he's really fun to watch run. And LaVisca Chenault is the other one yeah. who I've always liked. I, I, there's just something about, the way, not only his production, but the way he goes about it, really, really like him. And I just got a feeling that dude's going to show up 100% today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I'm, you know, I guess it's BBS. Everyone, together, you know, let's just say, let's just recognize that we have, a, you know, this syndrome and we really can't shake it. And that's BBS. Um. So that's probably that for me. I'm still skeptical. Yeah. I might come all the way over if they legitimately win this game without overwhelming breaks. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing I would add to that, um, which and I think all that's fair. I mean, especially looking back at the ASU game, that third and 13 where they um, got the review of Chase Coda getting his toe down, like – that's a that's a questionable review situation to overturn right there. To and overturn that, How and did that, they overturn that one yeah. really did change the entire complexion of that first half because if yep. they get the stop there, then suddenly it's like a fourteen ten game, and ASU has the ball um, down by four instead of um, soon down twenty one ten. And so yeah, there's legitimate um, reasons to think that a lot of that was the breaks. But the one thing I'd point out is Colorado is a significantly inferior team to Arizona State. What UCLA did against Arizona State was, even if you account for all the breaks, they at the very least played a team that had been, up until that point, good, like decent. They played them even, at worst. Um, And I would say they outplayed them, um, even with all those breaks. so if they're able to do that at home against a eh, decent team, they should be able to do that at home against a bad one. And Colorado is a bad team, um, and they've gotten worse over the course of the year. This is the worst defense UCLA will play this year, um, pretty definitively at this point, unless 
Oregon State goes badly into the tank over the final um, stretch of the season. But um, as it stands right now, Colorado has one of the worst defenses in the country. So I think UCLA, if 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 the if the real per- part of this progression, which is actually just the steady um, improvement of the offense, I mean the defense has made this sudden surge, which has made them you know able to win games. But if the offense has is not a mirage, and I don't think it is because it's been a steady progression all season, I mean, they should be able to score more or less at will against this team. You know, you're, I, I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying, but there is also this, and I don't think this is just BBS talking. I think this is, uh, you know, legitimate, uh, uh, kind of mindset, just not given UCLA football, but all of college football. It's it's just so random. It, it, I mean, we've seen it with UCLA football specifically this year. And I mean, just look at uh, this is a good example. Every week, the Pac-12, the 24-7 Pac-12 publishers have to do those power rankings. So I have to rank the Pac-12. And, you know, first I go by gut feeling and then I, then I look up just to remember of who beat whom. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense of who beat whom Mm -hmm. at at all. So all of this can be so random and it seems like college football, maybe I'm in a UCLA bubble, is getting more and more random that anyone can beat anyone. It could be parody of mediocrity. Which I think it absolutely probably is. Absolutely probably. That's good. You gotta you gotta title the podcast absolutely, absolutely prob- probably. Um in the Pac twelve. So I'm I'm just skeptical. I'm waiting for that I'm waiting for that complete random unpredictability to rear its ugly head again. That's like, you know, you're you are expecting Kit Kats and you got a bunch of Skittles and I think this might be Skittle week, but it okay. could very well be. I mean, uh, and you know, it's just what the what the trends say um, are very different from what a what a one off situation can say. So yes, it will be interesting to see if uh, if UCLA has been you know miraging the last couple of weeks for various reasons or if uh, if the turn is legitimate um, well talk, let's just talk one more little thing do you think this is a legitimate turn by ucla's defense yes you do yeah they're doing i mean they're doing an entirely different scheme like entirely different um and it's what elements of kind of what we've both been talking about for a while but um just be more aggressive. Don't get so passive. Um, send guys from different spots. Um, you know, don't just sit back and trust your tackling. Um, and like, there's just simple stuff. The fact that they're moving forward with forward momentum when they tackle guys instead of trying to catch them means that guys, instead of getting three extra yards at the end of a play, are not getting any extra yards at the end of a play. Um, just really, really simple stuff. It happened over a bye week, which makes me think it was a conscious choice from like a broad program spectrum, not just, hey, we're going to do this for these two games and then revert back to what we did. 
Um, and I think this scheme can work. Now, some teams are going to try to exploit it, and I think Colorado will start that up by you know, trying to hit some deep play action against a pulled-up defense, and they're going to hit some plays. But I'd much rather watch this than what we, ha- than what we were watching before. Um, and uh, I, I think it's going to work better, even beyond the aesthetic virtues of it. Um, I, I, if they're creating negative plays, and particularly if you look at who's left this season, now maybe this isn't a sustainable strategy forever, but if you look at who's left this year, it's Steven Montez, who's shaky as hell this year. I, I, I don't know if anybody's watched Colorado, but he's the weak link on the offense for them. Um, and then you've got uh, whoever's going to end up starting for Cal in the last game. And then you've got Keaton Slovis, who I really like, but he has been prone to mistakes under pressure as well. Uh, the one guy who maybe isn't is Tyler Huntley, but I think it's going to have some success in, at the very minimum, two of the final four games and potentially against USC as well. So um, even if it isn't a sustainable strategy forever, I think it could work well over the final four games of the year. That all makes lot. See, that's the thing. You are applying some in great sound logic. You're taking a lot of data, and you're coming upon the logical conclusion. And I, I think there's got to be, Dave. When we take our game to the next level, we have to anticipate those moments when college football randomness are going to strike. Right. And I, I don't know. I, I, let's just chalk it up to BBS. Okay. Let's just do that. You've chalked it up. Okay. That's my BBS. Okay. All right. So, um, Tracy's thinking, uh, UCLA is going to lose by four touchdowns today. (laughs) I think they, they win comfortably. We'll see what happens. Um, we want to talk hoops too, though. Hoops. Because the basketball team tipped off with their, uh, scrimmage exhibition, whatever you want to call it, um, against, uh, Cal State's what is the proper nomenclature for Stanislaus? Are wow. we just going Stanislaus? Are we going Cal State Stanislaus? Are we going Stanislaus State? What do we want to do? You're trying to just nail me. I, I mean, this is beyond my scope of knowledge. It's um, beyond your ken. I, you know, this is what I go by. Is generally my reference here is what UCLA lists the team on. <laughs> On their schedule on the official site. Yeah. And they had Stanislaus State. But now that I'm looking it up, Wikipedia has it, California State University Stanislaus. Pac-12 has it as Cal State Stanislaus. Okay, so, you know, you've got Cal State Fullerton. You've Cal got State Long, Long Beach. Be- Lo- well, Long, Long Beach, Beach State. State. Yeah, this is, this is important. San Jose State. I'm San gonna Diego guess, State. I'm going to guess Stanislaus State. I think Cal State Stanislaus is probably the the academic side. You know how, you know, you would never call Cal Berkeley um, when you're talking about sports. I think that's probably what it is. I think it's probably Stanislaus State. So I went, I'm on the page, and the link says California State University Stanislaus. Then when I go to the actual website, at the top it says Stanislaus State. Yeah. So, they're as confused about who they are as UCLA with its blue. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. we've got that settled, um, by which I mean we don't have it settled. Um, but UCLA, uh, first, the result doesn't matter, but they won by like 30. Um, I, it was an interesting um, showing. I thought um, they clearly look 
Look, I, again, we're setting, I'm setting a pretty minimum standard for this season. And I will say they look like they've been coached a little. Um, and that, that's a good sign. Um, now, is it perfect at this point? No, no, it's, no, it's not. And dribble penetration. Um, but I didn't see quite as many wide open threes, which I'll take after Steve Alford, like led the country in three points allowed. Um, I'll, I'll take that. And, you know, offensively, I think it's, I think the, the, I think the defense is going to get better throughout the year as they get coached more and more and more offensively. I have some more questions. Um, I, I'm worried a little bit about the shooting. I'm worried a little bit about just the offensive skill generally. Um, but defensively, I, I, they look like they're trying a little, and it looks like they're being coached, and I think that's going to get better over the course of the year. Uh, I tend to um, tentatively agree, just cautiously agree. Um my opinion is that this new coaching staff, McCronin, is knows what he's doing. He didn't. He knew he could just out talent Stanislaus, Stan State, <laughs> and beat him by twenty five plus. And I would have to think he's not showing anything in that game. So he, I, from what I, I, I'll admit, I didn't watch every single offensive possession, but. The mo- from what I did see, it looked like one offensive set for the entire game. And it looked like Stan State had it pretty much sussed out in about the second possession. So he, wa- he just was not going to show anything in- offensively in that game. And uh, to me, it almost looked like the basketball, the, the basketball team was almost using it as a practice on on how to execute that one set. Well, and that's um, more or less what Cronin said afterwards. He kept calling it basically a practice. Yeah. A live uh, practice against the competitive opponent who's going to try to take things away from you. I I do have some worries, though, um, as everyone did who watched that. Uh, well, first off, I mean, let's just say what, as you said, what, what looked good. There was an effort on defense. And... That's what we want, team-wise, is an effort on defense. Uh, and perhaps I'm just conditioned at this point to see some real warts. That's kind of – there have been so many warts for so many years. I mean, don't forget. Let's just – let's go through what all these UCLA fans have been through. Six years of Steve Alford, and then really the last five years of Ben Howland. And – conservatively three bad years of those. So it's been a long time. We're talking a near, well, we're talking a decade here. So it's hard to just remove my wart, you know, detecting glasses. And what really jumped out at me, (laughs) you're going to like this. What really jumped out at me was Prince Ali just leaving his feet on those closeouts. Oh man. Yeah. And I, I want to believe this guy's going to turn over a new leaf. But that is just such a fundamental thing. Yeah. The, and the, yeah, go ahead. Do you remember Prince Ali? Um, whatever it was, I think it was probably his first year in the program. And he looked like, oh, there's a lot of defensive potential there. Um, like there were plays where he would just come in. I think it was with Aaron Holiday. 
and they would both just kind of like burn up the ball and, and really play aggressive man defense. And I haven't seen that from him since, um, ever. And it's just, it's peculiar. Um, I don't know if he lost a little something like in terms of laterals or whatever, but also just the lack of discipline, um, and just the fundamentals. I mean, is in it- your in, in your experience in life, Dave, if someone creates a bunch of behavioral uh, habits, just habits, and they keep doing them over the course of well, let's say four years during your formative time of your life, yeah. eighteen to twenty-two, can you s- suddenly stop those? I mean, it's almost your brain takes over and starts doing it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but yeah, that one definitely did stand out. Um, and I think, you know, there was there was stuff we obviously heard out of practices that this guy or that guy was looking pretty good and, and it was kind of, you know, eye-opening. Oh, wow, well, that's great. And then yeah. you watch the game and it's like, oh, I mean, no, not really. It's the same guys that we thought were going to be good um, who, are, yeah. who are good. Um, cause you've got Jules Bernard out there and he looks, um, like the bad version of Bernard from the beginning of last year, uh, which is, which is amazing because he started, I mean, he was a freshman. Let's, let's give him a little credit that by the end of the season, he wasn't just driving to nowhere and taking up bad shots. Yeah. So yeah. maybe he had to get that out of his system and kind of, you know, I, I give him a lot higher chance <laughs> Because it was it was a half a year of bad habits. So. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it, he's still got a lot of room to grow there. And and by the end of the year, he was um, playing a lot better. So maybe that works out. Um, David Singleton clearly still not you know up to game speed or game shape. Um, but we know what he looks like when he's in you know when he's full go. So I think that'll I think he'll improve and and his improvement will help the team a ton. Um, but generally, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just going to be a question of how much they buy in uh, defensively over the course of the year when they get kind of punched in the mouth, which is going to happen early this year. I mean, in December, they've got to go back to back Notre Dame and North Carolina, and then they start out conference play with Washington, which um, is going to be among the better teams in the Pac-12 this year. Maybe not great, but among the better teams. Um, see well, how they they're going to do. Yeah, they're also in the Maui classic. Right. Which will, they're yeah. going to get punched. Yeah. It's just uh, tough to know who they'll play next, but yeah, they'll be in the Maui classic as well. It's probably, I'm, I'm doing that scheduling right now. So of course it's Kansas. Let's just think Kansas beats Chaminade. You think so? And then, <laughs> then I'm thinking it's Dayton and Dayton is one of those teams. They're one of those. Uh, can we even call Dayton? A mid, let's call them a mid major, but I don't know if they are anymore. No, not um, really. Yeah, with a bunch of tough four-year guys who you know are have been through it all, and they you know they are they're disciplined. I don't know that that could be not a great trip to the islands. Um, yeah, no, they're going to get tested. But while we're doing this, we have to talk first about the well, along with everything else, because we're being very negative, Dave. Tiger Campbell. I'm not being negative. You're the one who's bringing the negativity <laughs> here. No, Tiger You're Campbell right. looked great. Looked yeah, great. no, he looks he looks like he's going to be really, really special. Um, and I, I don't, I, I mean, look, crazier things have happened. I don't see a one and done guy there, um, or whatever this would be. 
you know, one red shirt and then a one and done, but whatever it is. Um, I think he'll play a couple of years at least. And he looked, he looked awesome. Um, and and when, when's the last time UCLA had a, a point guard who probably, and I don't want to rag on Ty, Tiger Campbell, but probably isn't a pro, but he's a very good college point guard and he stays four years. Yeah, man. I mean, Darren Collison. Damn. Darren Collison, though, yeah. He flirted he was with a it pro. after his junior year, but he didn't go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that does – that's the best takeaway from that game to me. Because And, you know, obviously, he flashed a little. He scored 14 points in the first half, didn't score in the second half. But 11 assists, you can see he's going to rack up some assists. Just the steadiness of having that guy in your program – for, for four years, it means so much to a program, especially with Mick Cronin. You are, so it's so funny, the things you are pessimistic about. I see a dude who like can just like breathe and stand on a court, and I'm like, oh, it's UCLA. doesn't matter <laughs> what his athleticism is. doesn't matter how he projects at the NBA level. He's gone in two or three years, top. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, no, he'll be here for five years because that's what it will actually be at the end of that. I'm like... Yeah, okay. No, no, you're probably right. There's something in the air in Poly Pavilion that it's makes everyone just, think they can go pro. No, he'll he'll go. He'll be a second round, like 60th pick in the draft in two years. That's going to happen. <laughs> I'm building that into the calculation here. Um, if I had to bet, I would bet on that. Yeah. Because there, there is something that happens. You breathe that air in Poly and you suddenly think yeah, that you're going to no, go pro. You breathe all the agents' bullshit. Or, anyway. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Tiger Campbell, uh, he was. He was great. Uh, Jaime Yaquez. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. If you want to talk about a future pro, um, that guy that guy can play some basketball. Well, what was – it was not to be negative about Jake Kaiman, but Jake Kaiman was kind of the, the freshman performance you might expect. Nervous, hurried, making bad decisions. And then you see Yaquez who looked – once after he got in the first time, got that out of his system, then he looked like he had been doing this a long time. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, the one, the one ball fake and drive was – I mean, there are guys, three- and four-year guys, who still haven't learned how to do that under control. No. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So that – and then the other thing, too – I don't know if I wrote about it. His defense, he he really played some defense too. Yeah. I mean, he showed some effort there. So that was that was really encouraging. Um, especially when this is a roster where you're you're looking around and saying, where are they gonna get their scoring? You know, a lot of people thought it might be Jules Bernard before the season, and it might still be. Uh, but where are they going to get their go-to score in this? And the one thing that I think is key for this to develop is in when I was watching practice a couple of times, uh, and I watched Jalen Hill and Cody Riley, I thought they had gotten a lot better in their post offense, particularly Cody Riley, but also, uh, you know, Jalen Hill. We didn't really see that that much in that exhibition. We saw Cody Riley at the end of the game where he kind of settled down, caught the ball in the post, 
And instead of hurrying himself, just said, yeah, well, okay, this guy's six, seven. I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to pivot to the basket and lay it in. We need to see more of that from Jalen Hill, just his post game, because I, I think this offense is going to go inside out. They're, they're going to look to feed the post. And you got a guy like Tiger Campbell, who is going to feed the post and the rest of the team is if you were going back to the showcase is going to be told feed the post. So those guys have to be a threat from from the block, and that's key. And that's why I think Cody Riley is going to end up being uh, a significant factor in his offense, particularly uh, whether he's playing the five, which he kind of did in that exhibition more, or whether he's going to be on the court at the same time with Jalen Hill. Um, there isn't a guy I'm rooting for more than Alex Olazinski. Uh, but he kind of, he kind of has a little bit of fool's gold element to him. Coaches love him. All coaches love him. The coaching staff before how many different, you know, coaches from Alford to Bartow, uh, you know, and in all this loved him and always said, Alex Olazinski is going to be a contributor. And I'm not doubting that he won't this year, but I, I think he, can show himself off in practice and flash in games, but I still think he's just a supporting factor coming off the bench. Yeah, and I would be shocked if they end up starting him. Um, I mean, I, I, that would be surprising to me. I think what it is, he he definitely has that... Um, I think he's a good tone setter, a good culture guy, probably for Cronin, um, because he's going to play hard. Um, he's going to, you know, attempt to play defense. Um, he's going to, you know, do all those effort things. I think that Cronin really wants, but under talented. I mean, you can't. You've got to hope that they get to the the actual meat of the season. Maybe he starts a few games at the beginning of the year or plays a lot in a few games at the beginning of the year. But once they get to the meat of the season, if he's still playing a lot of minutes, that's a, probably a bad sign for this initial culture, you know, changeover that you couldn't get one of the more talented guys to get up to speed enough to play the 25, 30 minutes a game that he'll need to. Um, so, you know, and this is the thing also to bring up is, um, you know, Ben Howland's first year was not uh, was not a good year by any stretch of the imagination because they were instilling such a culture. I've been more optimistic coming into this year than than I than I think a lot of people were going into that first talent year, but there's still a real chance that there are major growing pains because none of these guys have had to play consistent defense over their careers. So it might be a situation where Olesinski plays a ton this year um, because he's you know one of the guys who is is you know doing the culture stuff better than everybody else. Who knows? And that's going to be probably the primary important thing for Cronin this year. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. What did you think about Chris Smith and Sharif O'Neal? Well, Chris Smith, I, I, I've been very kind of skeptical of him over the last couple of years, but now I'm starting to think there's a real chance there. Um, I think he looks like he's starting to, I, and this is something I, again, I, I, I've liked everything that Cronin has said because it seems very forthright and it seems very honest. And he's like, I want to give him an identity as a player. And I think you're starting to see signs of Smith sort of 
trying to find that identity himself as um, kind of that all around effort guy who's going to get some blocks, going to get some steals, going to try to do a variety of things. Um, So I think I'm optimistic there. Um, And then Sharif O'Neal has a ton of potential. Um, He he looks raw, but he has a ton of potential and a ton of athleticism there. So um, if Cronin, if Cronin can really develop those two guys, um, that's going to be such a great sign for the future. If those guys yeah, are playing a lot, a lot better basketball by the end of the year than they were at the beginning, we're just looking for signs this year. And if those two guys are playing a ton better by the end of the year, if, if he can get something out of Jalen Hill too, because that's a guy who's he's got the hallmarks of a Cronin post, right? He's that big, um, physical, athletic, you know, four guy. If he can have those, you know, two or three guys playing much better basketball by the end of the year, that's that's a really good sign for the future. I think one right. We're looking for signs, and we're looking for things that would show be indications that Cronin is doing this right. And Sharif O'Neal, how he develops over the next however many years, three to four years. Uh, obviously, he's very raw, but he's very talented. I thought that was a really good showing for his first. Oh yeah. Because I, I've watched him play, and he can be very raw. And I thought he actually looked good uh, and promising. And some of the athleticism that he flashed there, too. And just just not like on that one finger roll finish, but also defensively being able to guard someone much smaller than he was and moving his feet. So this is this is a fresh guy who Cronin has as a freshman, a redshirt freshman, and he can mold him into the guy that he wants. So I think that's really exciting. Uh, I It's funny because, you know, I I watched a little bit of NBA and stuff, and even though I hate it, um, you just fantasize about, like, what Mick Cronin could do with someone like, and I'm not even going to say Lonzo Ball. I'm going to say TJ Leaf. Just given that kind of talent, what he could have and and i think maybe if he sets a season here that's a basis that shows recruits that this is a program that's promising and you can come to ucla and win potentially win at a high level he's going to get the tj Leafs kind of guys and that's that's really really exciting just trying to everyone out there picture tj leaf playing for mick cronin yeah. It's just it just kind of makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I more or less even though maybe you know I, I had a critical eye on that exhibition I I thought it was there were a lot of overall from the team standpoint I wasn't necessarily really really you know there wasn't a lot that I took away from it that was Really, really encouraging, but on an individual basis, there there was, and I think that's an element of putting that all together. Yeah. Uh, and and actually, Stanislaus say did you know they just they I don't know if they had anyone over six six, and all they did was spread out their offense, and it was a smart move. Make UCLA's bigger guys have to stay in front of the ball, and the one thing that worried me that has just been a nightmare for how many years is help defense um remember in howland's good years how 
players rotated over yeah. and cut off that lane and cut off that basket. Maybe I just got to the point where I thought that's how everyone plays basketball because it was such a, a, just a common thing in, in Howland's good defenses. And that, that was that I really want to see better help defense. Uh, if you're going to extend your defense and you're going to play a tough man to man, you got to be able to do that. And so that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to see. I, I'm going to take it step by step. Long Beach State, I want to see good help defense. Yeah. And so the one thing about, um, and this is going to be interesting because while Cronin is an elite defensive coach, um, the numbers 100% back that up. I mean, the last whatever it is, nine years, they've never had a defense outside of the top 30. Um, the, That's amazing. Yeah. That's the, amazing. The thing that it is, though, it's much more focused on generating blocks, generating steals, um, kind of a turnover-based defense more than what Howland was doing, which was, I don't know the best way to describe it, positional defense. Um, no, that's it. Yeah, elite that's positional defense. I think this is, it's going to be more active hands and passing lanes. Um, that deflection stat, that wasn't something, I know, I think Howland tracked it, but it wasn't one of his, like, number one things. He wanted guys on the floor going after loose balls. Like, he wanted those sorts of effort stats tracked, but I don't know how much he was focused on deflections. Um, right. Because that's a very Patino school of defense um, idea. And um, Cronin's big on that. He's big on the creation of turnovers. I think in the last, let me go through it. In the last, uh, so his last team was 50th in turnover percentage. Uh, the previous team was 20th. Team before that was top fifty. Team before that was top fifty. So they're turning over. They're turning people over a lot. Um, that's a big part of it. And they do block a ton of shots. Like they're trying to funnel guys in to get their shots blocked. Um, so and, yeah. it's, it's everything be, you're saying to me, Dave. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's just it's going to be interesting because it isn't the last. The last time we saw an elite defensive coach at UCLA, it was a different style of defense. Right. Absolutely understand. Um, the positional thing is different. It, it will be Cronin's defense will take more risks, will get their hands out there trying to create more uh, steals and turnovers. Got it. But in his defense still, everything you said is, is still, you need some help defense because you're going to be out there taking a risk. Oh, totally. People are yeah. going to get around you. And then if you're going to block a shot, you're going to need to rotate over. So, Yeah. That's why I'm saying it. I think it's a big key to his defense is is help. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, no, that was more of an in addition to that. It's going to be interesting yes. that uh, it's going to be a bit different look. Um, yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it. I'm 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 really going to take especially these first couple of months of the season just as like kind of education. Like I'm not really expecting a ton, especially after that exhibition. I think there are going to be even more growing pains than I probably thought over the summer. Um, but I do yeah. think still the, the athletic potential of this team means that they could be playing pretty damn good basketball by the end of the year. Um, and that, you know, we'll, we'll see where, where they're, you know, wandering in the wilderness and non-conference leaves them from a record wise. And if they've had any good wins or whatever. Um, but I still think this is a, a potential, you know, tournament team and, and, competitive team um in the Pac-12 so we'll see 
And I think um, David Singleton will end up starting. Yeah, once he gets once he gets back in shape, I mean, back in full game shape, I think he'll be starting. And I think, as I said, that Cody Riley will get major. And you know what? If you look, I'm looking at the minutes. He he got far more minutes than Alex Olesinski. Uh And but Riley was mainly playing the five too. Yeah. But I think you have to put him and Hill on the court at the same time. So I think he'll be a guy that starts and I'm putting up air quotes, whether he actually is the first guy who walks out on the court, he'll get starter minutes. And then I think I might be putting a little bit too much on it just from one viewing, but uh, Yaquez just seems like a guy that's going to really be able to provide a boost off the bench. So I think if that happens, with some post scoring, I think they'll have a chance to, as you said, maybe make the NSA tournament. Yep. All right. And go beyond that number eight pick in the Pac 12. Yeah, that's more the thing. I think they're going to finish top half in the conference. That's my guess. Um, yeah. And, and we'll see if, uh, if, and it could be, I mean, if they gel quickly, it could be even earlier than that. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate it after watching the exhibition. I think it's going to take a little bit more time than that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. I'm anticipating there's going to be some bumps early. Uh, there are, you know, I'm, I've just started to dip into the schedule and start doing research on these teams. And, yeah, there are some teams that UC Santa Barbara. Ah, that's going to be a tough game. Second game of the year, Santa Barbara's, you know, picked to go to the NCAA tournament. They've won. They've had two twenty-one seasons in a row. That's it's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough game. Yep. Um, there's always that mid-major that comes into poly, <laughs> and it's and it's funny that we're saying there's always one, and it is UC Santa Barbara. So. Yeah, uh, BYU, there are going to be some, you know, Kansas and then probably Dayton or Georgia, but probably Dayton. This is going to be a tough non-season given, given where they are. A team like Hofstra could be tough while UCLA is trying to sort this out. That's, you know, one of the first five games of the season, um, so while we're usually used to some cupcakes, and I'm not saying these are all world beaters, but there are some tough outs here oh, in yeah. the non-conference. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it could be a struggle at the beginning, and you're hoping that they take their lumps and then they start playing with some cohesion and they get it by Pac-12. Yeah, and, and the Pac-12 itself is probably uh, a little bit better than last year. Um, there's probably more competence up at the top. Oregon should be decent. Colorado should be decent. Washington should be decent. USC should be decent. So, and then and then that's the thing too. Why you're saying that? Washington should be decent. I th- I think they're going to be pretty good. Actually, um, they have a they have an identity with the way they play that zone, and kids are buying in, and so UCLA finishes its non conference. And it, it traditionally, it's always played pretty bad at heck, heck Ed up there in Seattle, and that's its 
that's the first Pac-12 game, first conference game of the year. Are you, so saying, are this, you saying that's not ideal? That's that's not ideal. So I, I I haven't really looked at the record of where UCLA will be by then, but UCLA fans just anticipate this could be rough non-conference through that first Washington trip. Could yeah. could be kind of could be kind of tough. So it's Washington, Washington State, which is always, you know, it's just always not. UCLA's done surprisingly well in Pullman, but you gotta always think that's a tough. Yeah, that's a tough trip. Just if you go there, and then you got USC at home at Poly, so it starts out tough. So just be prepared, people. That don't expect like you know eleven and, and zero. All right. Okay. So Tracy's predicting what twenty nine and, and and zero. <laughs> uh, I love doing those predictions. I yeah. do. It, it's always fun. It's always never fun. fun. I hate Pre- it. I hate it. So predicting much. how they're going to finish in March, and I'm and I, <laughs> yeah, especially starting. especially with a new coach. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. We love our jobs. Um. All right. You got anything else? I'm I'm done. I'm tapped out. Okay. All right. Well, uh, everyone, hope you enjoy the game today. I uh, hope you enjoy the basketball game this week, Wednesday and Sunday. Uh, yes. And we'll be back. I'll be back tonight after the uh, Colorado game to recap that thing for you. And hopefully it is not a dark and depressing early morning podcast for me. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods from Bruno Port Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Thanks, everyone.